We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Daymore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. It is Thursday afternoon here, which means we're in the middle of Timberwolves training camp. I got Britt Robson of The Athletic here with me, actually at the Timberwolves facility um, here at, at Target Center. Training camp's happening. Haven't been here in like a year. I was planning on just doing a podcast by myself about the Timberwolves defense and what we've kind of like. Chris Finch has been dropping some breadcrumbs here over the first couple of days, sure. just, just talking about what this is going to look like. He's very much an open book. And then today you uh, you wrote a story um, about the defense. You individually interviewed Chris Finch, Elston Turner, the new defensive coordinator, and uh, three or four other players that didn't really get into the mix, but interesting background. I mean, yeah, I think that... What uh, went into that, though? So, like, yeah. this, is, this was one of the classic, like, Brit, something's about to change. I'm trying to figure it out. Before we actually see it on the floor, you did this similar right. thing with David exactly. Vanderpool a couple of years ago. Right. Um, so, yeah. So what kind of goes into that? Well, I mean, part of it is, first of all, it is the thing. Yeah. Um, if the Timberwolves have a terrible defense, I mean, terrible offense, then everything goes down in the drain. But highly the unlikely. E the expectation is that they will be a very good offensive team. Uh, and the expectation is they will struggle to become a mediocre defensive team. I think that's a realistic expectation. And as I said, as kind of a way to package the column, um, mediocrity is a low bar, but it's not a bar that the Timberwolves have achieved very often. And I also think, as we've talked about many times with timelines and you know, just getting tired of each other or whatever, Cat uh, and D'Lo are in pivotal seasons. And so they also happen to be the two guys who need to be activated most clearly. They'll be among the two or three top leaders in minutes. So their engagement on defense will kind of, you know, foretell not only the level of competitiveness for the season, but how the future will go. So all that coming together means that how the Timberwolves perform on defense this year in terms of effectiveness as much as scheme or anything else 
will be huge. And so it was an obvious, I like defense anyway, so it was obvious. Right. Well, I mean, it's what you're kind of describing there. And I think what everyone's kind of expecting is, you know, what is the engagement level of a Carl Anthony Towns going to be? Uh, D'Angelo Russell, to maybe a little bit lesser of a degree, Anthony Edwards, Malik Beasley. Exactly. And what, what I found very interesting here in the first, you know, first week of camp, we've been actually right. able to watch some of these practices and see some, uh, the, the first day we got to watch pick and roll drills. And, and then with Chris Finch kind of confirming it, when we got to talk to him after the practice, you know, he is putting in a defensive system that engages players more. Uh, again, you know, we've right. talked about this forever, a much more conservative scheme under Tom Thibodeau, under Ryan Saunders and David Vanterpool when he was here. This system is, is going to be far more active. It is going to engage players, specifically the center, Carl Anthony Towns, at the point of attack, right? right? He is going to be playing at the level of the screen. And that's what you also, you talked to Elson Turner in the, in, in your article as well. But I thought kind of the, the interesting part as we, we've been kind of parsing this over the summer is like, all right, we, we think the system's going to change. Who's going to change it? Because, right. because David Vanterpool, right instilled the system before he was the dominant force in terms of setting the scheme on defense even more than rosas who usually takes credits for things or usually right. take credit for things he doesn't take credit for much now uh and i think that um it is very obvious that uh chris finch is a power broker on this team in a in a way that most coaches are not every way, but specifically to the defense, which runs a little counter to his label of right. offensive dude. Right. He is he put this defensive scheme in place to Elston Turner, the new defensive coordinator, as you reported out, is basically I think he had a direct quote. What was it? I'm I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna do what Chris wants us to do. Like I mean, I, yeah. the the way I had framed the question at the time to get that answer was uh Coach Finch thinks uh x and y uh should happen do you endorse that and he said i'm going to endorse, endorse. whatever that was he the word. says <laughs> right right <laughs> so um in in kind of looking at this and the the first day i'm what i'm just watching the drills yeah and i'm like okay when i'm watching the drills what i what i'm seeing is you have the big playing up at the level of the screen right which is a difference yes. previously. And gives Cat what he wants, not incidentally. I mean, Cat has always believed himself to be an excellent uh, quasi-perimeter defender. Has and he said as much yesterday. Cite, you know, obscure statistics that apparently uh, confirm that he's very good at that. And, but, okay, so he said that, and he has said that before. Yesterday he said, you know, I've always, statistically I've fared really well when I've switched against point guards. I, I don't really know where those stats come right. from. He said it multiple times. Right. Whatever. But what he said, what he said, though, what stood out most to me, he goes, that's what I'm most comfortable with is playing up with, which is such a depart. He's done that so, (laughs) so little in his career, which is just, you know, very interesting, which, again, just leads to the Nikola Jokic Denver comparison, which is famously when Denver changed their defense, Mike Malone went to Nikola Jokic and he said, what are you most comfortable with doing? Right. And counter to, I think, logic of a chunky Nikola Jokic four years ago, Jokic said, I want to I want to play up. And, and Malone let him do it. Right. And sure enough, you know, 
once Paul Millsap got in the mix there as well, they went from being 28th in defense up to 10th that and next season. And was Finch there? He wasn't there yet. Finch was not there. He's already gone. He was there two years before okay. that, that leap happened. Yeah. But he did uh, cite Malik Beasley as somebody who was familiar with this defensive pattern, and yes. that could only have come from Denver mm -hmm. because that's the only place Malik was before here. I mean, his comments today, which indicates that there's a little bit of Denver in this anyway, schematically mm -hmm. ab above and beyond the five. And I also think that um, as he cottons to Cat's comfort level, he's also saying – I mean, he, he told me they're going to wait to structure their rotations once they find out exactly how much help Cat does or doesn't need in meeting those people at the level. I mean, if he's really good at it, they probably will rotate in ways that go to the corner to guard the corner three more often or, right. you know, backfill on a drop or not, you know. But uh, essentially, um, they are letting Cat's – you know, at least in this training camp, who knows how long that will have to last. But they're going to find out exactly what Cat can do. And both uh, Chris Finch and Elston Turner said, you know, we're going to see how much help he needs. We'll protect him. They literally said, we'll protect him if we have to. But we don't know, you know, whether or not that's necessary yet. Which is also a massive departure from what has been going on before. I mean, the and Ryan Saunders said this many times over the course of the couple of years. You know, he said we want to guard pick and rolls with two players. Right. That that's what he said. And and really, there's only two ways you can do that. You can switch it, or you can drop it, and then you keep the other three guys home. Right. Right. What I think Timberwolves fans will notice is this will almost feel like four players guarding an action, right. at least three. And and really, what what Finch said is much more engagement from the low man, which right. is that is your backfill, that is your help for exactly. Cat behind him exactly. at the rim. And again. Under, you know, under both Tibbs and under Saunders, they wanted the low man to stay home with the corner guy as much as possible. And what that registered positively was it takes away some of the threes, but you don't get the help at the rim. And that bared out statistically, right? Like the Wolves weren't giving up a lot of threes. They're getting cooked at the rim, though. So now we're seeing a shift in priority right. from Chris Finch into saying, you know, we're going to take away the rim first. Right. And, and to do that, particularly if we're going to have Cat up engaged, we're going to need to have Cat kind of working, like showing up the hedge, recovering, plus the low man dropping back down to help in that sort of way. That's going to op open up corner threes or, or you know, kickouts right. in, in that or sort of way. Or above the break threes as well, just because everybody does have to be rim conscious. I mean, Finch wants people to be rim conscious. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I said to him, um, because he said, I'm going to come in, uh, next year and we'll put them some things in and uh, and we're not going to worry about the three-point shot this year. And I said, well, you know, are you worried about the three-point shot? He said, yeah, rim protection still matters. I said, well, do you, you know, you guys were the worst in the NBA under you at above the break threes. He goes, you know, a lot of teams struggle with that. You have to choose. He said, and I said, Milwaukee, take Milwaukee. And he said, and Toronto, mm -hmm. where he just was. Yep. So basically he what he was saying is, and, and and other Jade McDaniels confirmed this to me too. Um, what you want is you'll concede the above the break three if it's a streaky, maybe their third or fourth best shooter taking it above the break three. They don't want you know obviously uh, right. like you know you're a, a 
career, C.J. McCollum or somebody or right. Dame taking that three. But you know, if it's somebody else, uh, yeah, they, they will live with that. That is something that is again different than Vanderpool and Ryan, which was take away the paint, take away the three, et cetera, et cetera. Well, with Finch saying, you know, even if we're active and we're flying around. To guarantee you're going to be good at the rim and at the three-point line is unrealistic. I mean, Milwaukee with Brook Lopez and Giannis don't do it. So right. you know, it, it's interesting to me. So I guess we're kind of working our way through this. Sure, you got the big up at the level. You got the low man rotating over to give that big cat or Nas at right. the level support. Right. What that opens up is the corner, and then that, and then, and you saw this in the drills. That's when the X out comes. Right. Because now. The low man has ditched the man in the corner. So the X out is the opposite wing if it gets kicked Classic to the corner. Classic Toronto. Toronto yep. X'd out at the corners. I mean, and mm -hmm. by X out, we mean, of course, it's kind of a switch, but it's a... Yeah, it, well, it just makes really an X. A, yeah, low, man, low man's down. Right, right. High man is going to come over, right. close out to the corner. The corner guy's then probably going to kick it to the above the break, right. and then the low man rotates back out in that way. That right. makes... That, there's, there's your X. And it's so, a rotation. And so... This is very different. Yes. And it also asks different things of different people, um, particularly Anthony Edwards. Um, this is audacious. Is, this is audacious as who, well as it is different. Who is going to be a top three guy in minutes. I don't think anybody expects different. And that means he's sure. going to be on the floor a lot. And what that means is he cannot be... I mean, Chris Finch literally told me that last year... Um, we we decided we saw he was so much more comfortable on the ball than he was off the ball. So we either put him on the ball or we put him in the gap facing the ball and rotated behind him. I mean, it's like don't even involve him in complicated shit is right. really what it boiled <laughs> down to. And so I'm thinking, you know, whoa, you know, uh, all right. Anthony Edwards is a fun loving guy. Everybody to a person I've ever spoken to about him says he wants to be good. He wants to right. be good, so on and so forth. But what I remember is how Anthony Edwards just loved the new wrinkles that Chris Finch had put in after Ryan left. And that was because he didn't have to do as much. <laughs> right. And that was good because he couldn't do as much under Ryan. So the big question mark, one of the two big question marks in my mind in terms of how effective this team, well, three question marks. But the one I'm talking about now that is very important is can Anthony Edwards execute assignments off the ball both because of his perimeter uh you know uh vision and because of his want to and um people are you know of course they're going to say this now but i do think that the way they're saying this is they're they're thinking yeah he is beginning to get it and right. you know if that's true that's a huge huge development what's interesting in this scheme and finch confirmed as much to you and in the story is if he or anyone else is not doing it, it you will be easy to diagnose where he is not doing accountability. It That's why he doesn't like switching. That's why he wants these set rotations. Uh, it's, but it's pretty It's pretty easy. It's like, all right, so where, where, where's Ant's going to be one of three places, right? right. He's going to be guarding the point of attack. Probably not that often, but sometimes right. he'll be yes. in that situation. Right. Or he'll be the low man right. at times where he has that, where he has the, I mean, at the point of attack, it's just his job to be up in the ball. As the low man, he's going to need to rotate over in that sort of way. Right. Or or if he's just the opposite wing, he's going to have to do the X out. Right. Not doing your job in any one of those three spots. Leaves an open man. 
leaves an open man, but it's also very easily diagnosable on yes, film. Yes, yes, exactly. You'll see exactly why they're so open. Yeah, you got to, you got you to, you got to rotate over for the low. Right. You got to, you got to the X out for the X out. You know, right. and and I think in terms of just behavioral learning, that that's a lot. You know, that's that's a lot easier where than or it's a lot more specific than drop coverage, that which is much is more enough. read and read. Yeah, that is really. I mean, one of the things, and I was frankly ignorant of this. Um, solid is enough sounded like you go to a spot, you play, you know, you react to a certain thing and go in a certain place. But that gets back to this whole idea that X's and O's are going to be putting people that X is going to be exactly there. And there's a lot of judgment calls yep. on solid is enough. When you're solid is when you're in the right place. But being in the right place when the play flexes is a judgment call. And that, I've got to think, is more complicated than what Finch is trying to do. At the very least, you know to X, as you said, X yeah. out, go low, or beyond ball, or whatever. Those three things are fairly definitive. You right. know? And that's why they're so accountable. So I think that does engage Ant's love of the game and seems like the kind of guy, if he doesn't get something easily, he'll put it off for a while and just do something else. But if he gets it a little bit, his natural confidence has him going to say, I can do this, and he applies himself. I mean, that became true in terms of his shot selection and his jumper last year. And I think also in terms of his passing, what he learned in terms of how to be a playmaker, he wasn't nearly as stupid playmaking in the second half of the season right. so it was um i was talking to you during practice today about how when i was reading your article this morning the one thing that kind of struck me that i hadn't ever really considered and i'm not saying this is, is a likelihood or anything but you know what if ant is really good at this right or becomes really good or even just above average at exactly it. not what, a problem what, what if he is not one of the three things that I think are problematical, which unfortunately, yeah. I mean, I still have to think that way because I saw him last year. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. He was, and, and to be fair, I asked him to, because he said, uh, I'm going to get at media day, I'm going to get two steals a game. Well, if that's his mindset, then all these things under Finch's system are kind of screwed because you can't, you can, you know, like on ball, you can low man. If you're going for steals, low man, you're probably going to get burned. I mean, there's just a yeah. lot of ways that that's not going to work. And when I said, you know, won't that get in the way of two steals a game? He goes, no, opposite. I'll go have four steals. You <laughs> know, and yeah. it's going to have, you know, that level of playfulness. But there is the worry that, you know, yeah, I got this now, so on and so forth. And once the game starts, uh, it's going to be a learning curve, I think. And his offense will, you know, keep him on the floor. And if they do have to, quote unquote, protect him or do something, then right. maybe, you know, he, he plays a little bit more often with some of the, you know, really great defensive guys who can cover for him a little bit. But in general, I think it's a worthy experiment uh, because he has to get beyond just filling gaps and being on ball. He has to become a member of a team defense which is really what he was exempted from the last 30 games of the season last year. I want to talk about how this connects to cap, and I'm going to get a quick break in here first, sure. and we'll be right back. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So what I, what I said earlier, this I'm back here with Britt Robson of The Athletic. We're, we're talking about his article on the defense and sort of some of the breadcrumbs we're gathering about what the Timberwolves defense might look like this season, where the areas for opportunity are in this. And, and what I kind of want to talk about right now is how I think this is going to kind of take a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be awkward at first. Right. And, and I think that that is just natural with, with change. And everyone who's listened to this or listened to us talk about it knows I'm someone who's steadfastly in the, the box of thinking it needs to change. So I don't, right. I'm not framing this in any sort of way. Like, I think this is going to be a bad idea, but I, I think there is, um, a real chance that the first 15 games or so of this we see is going to not go well. Mm. And that doesn't, and that doesn't mean that it, it, it can't be the better overall right. sort of thing, but I, the rotation part is going to be very difficult. Experiential has to be experiential. Particularly for the thing you were just talking about with Ant, as somebody who, in his mind, defines defensive success through steals, which I believe he does. I think Malik Beasley is also somebody in that in that sort of way. He's a right. he's an end possession guy, right. not a limit the shot sort of sort right. of guy. Exactly. And I think there'll be an adjustment there for those guys in in that spot. There's just going to be an adjustment for a group playing on a string more. Another thing that I'm wary of initially is 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 Cat. And it's going to be a big change for him, too. Um, it's still playing on a string, but it's a different part of the string. Mm-hmm. And and what we what we learned today at practice is is Cat is not really they're kind of saving him in camp right now. He isn't really participating in, you know, in drills or in scrimmages right. and that sort of thing. Not because he's hurt, but he, what Chris said is they're waiting to ramp him up. So I think these preseason games are going to be pretty important to get even just the four of them to practice this, this different type of scheme with this different, per- somewhat different personnel. Right. I mean, it is just different personnel. Like it's called spade a spade. These guys haven't played together very much, right. even if they were on the team last year. So I think some of the continuity as it connects to Cat, because the guys out there who are running it right now are, you know, Nas Reed, Nathan Knight, right. Chris Silva, who's a training camp body. Yep. That's the five when, when we're watching the drills out right. there. And... And those guys are all very different than Cat, of, of course. Very different. So, so that's why I think there's a chance that early on, that the the, the three point shooting really punishes this this scheme. I was talking to John Schumann uh, just back and forth on Twitter a little great bit, guy. and I mean, and a great point. He, he was like, 
he's like, yeah, it's it's a change, but the Pelicans did the same thing last year, and they tried it at the beginning of the year, and they got absolutely cooked, rotating back out to the threes, both the corner and above the break, and eventually went back to drop. And so, you know, I mean, that's on what the other go- hand. Yeah, go ahead. Steven Adams and Zion Williams. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm just saying, like, you're right. No, personnel wise, uh, I don't see how you don't play drop with Steven Adams. Quite frankly, for sure. And so, and I can understand why they were getting cooked because Brandon Ingram is not necessarily a diligent defender, and Lonzo is. But I mean, I'm trying mm-hmm. to think. Jake and Hart is. I think Bledsoe still, was there. Yeah, Bledsoe was there. So maybe, but. I it's do just, think, I'm just saying this isn't like a right. Chris Finch isn't waving his magic exactly. wand that it's going to get fixed. And I believe he's doing the, a change, which is it's good to make a change, but it's not going to just fix it. And what is important and what will have to be done, I believe, with Cat is he will have to be calmed down about the need for patience hmm. because in classic Cat fashion, I mean, he needs an interior drama every season coming into things, you know. And um, the last couple of years, quite frankly, it's been kind of COVID-related. Well, last year, certainly. Mm-hmm. And the year before that, there was, you know, something else, you know, going to finally play with D'Lo, and that didn't happen. But the point being is all the chips are in the middle of the table with Cat. I got a massive chip on my shoulder. I've been working out, you know. I've been used as a punching bag by the rest of the NBA, and I've seen my friends uh, win championships and guys I used to dominate become MVP, and now it's time I am ready. All right, he said all of that, and he is very aware of the need to back it up in some way, shape, or form, and if things begin to fall apart, or better yet, slowly come together, then he is going to have to be talked off the ledge. He's going to have to be told, look, just keep doing what you're doing. This will eventually work out in the long run, you know, and Ant to some extent, D'Lo. I, I mentioned three things I was concerned about. One of them is Ant's ability to become more sophisticated on defense. That's lessening just on the basis of today and one of the things I've heard. Cat um, and D'Lo actually playing defense which uh cat actually tried to do it and 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 worked hard at it last year he did and and the system wasn't great um you know the the personnel isn't fabulous for cat frankly i mean they still don't have a guy who's just an automatic a gorgie jang kevin garnett type who is going to be able to or the paul Millsap to the low man thing i mean that's vando or mcdaniels which i think some people are i mean and i think we would be optimistic about too but yeah, I mean, the problem with that, of course, is that um, they are different speeds. And, you know, you sure. don't know. Good point. Uh, you know, Vando is somebody who, uh, if you got used to Vando and Vando got used to you, he could be really viable. But how used to you, uh, how used to Vando are you going to be if, if he shits the bed at the other end of the court, which also could happen, right. you know, not be a defensive guy. But anyway, second area of worry is D'Lo and Cat will both have to show me that they can be engaged and effective on defense. And, and, and understand, as we said at the beginning of this, the bar is mediocrity. I'm not talking about a top 10 defense. I'm not talking about a top 15 defense, quite frankly. I'm talking about between 15 and 20 is what I'm looking at. Sure. And 
The last thing, and I think a very important thing, because Finch is, you know, inflexible on this, and Finch is almost never inflexible about, about things. He believes you can hit the offensive boards with multiple personnel and get back and be ready in transition defense. I find that to be remarkably bold. Perhaps well, that's what I was to say. This, this is all audacious. Right, right. This is all audacious. But I mean, by you Finch. know, not wrong, Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, uh, and and crew. You know, hitting the boards and getting back. I mean, yes, he's right that they could. You know, if they stop complaining to the refs and they are better conditioned, so on and so forth. But it's still. I mean, when I put this to Turner, who has already announced, hey. Whatever Chris Finch wants is what we'll do. Right. He said, is it tough? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to win, you know, I mean, he was basically between the lines. Um, he said, Elston Turner is thinking, you know, if well, you care about it, you can do it. That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> so, but is it tough? Yeah. It, it's just this is all a good example of Finch and his just kind of belief. I mean, right. the 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 defensive system in the half court, as we right. just talked about, there's three links of the chain there that are all audacious that they're going to be all working together. Right. If they do work together, you know, right. It, it'll be very, it'll be very right. positive. If you can offensive rebound and play transition defense together, you know, that will be, that will be very positive as well. But it's, you know, Chris Finch is, he's a parlay guy, right? Right. You know what exactly. I'm saying? Like those exactly. are, those stringing you those have things to double, together. He's doubling down on doubling down to some extent. And the thing that is kind of crazy about it is that, he said this in the middle of last season when we were asking him about how do you you, you know, got to get back? How do you know? And he said, when people are at that time, he said, when people are on the fast break anyway, more often than not, if if they've got right. that kind of situation, they get an open look. <laughs> and now what he's saying is, well, we're going to prevent that from happening, but we're also going to hit the offensive boards. And it is, by the way, consistent. He has always said, and I am actually impressed by this, the possession doesn't end until the other guy gets the rebound. So we just will extend our possessions by hitting the glass and be a better offensive team. But if that doesn't work, guess what? Everybody has got the haul ass back to the other end of the court and do this. And Turner did say, you know, yes, that's a philosophy, but use your judgment. I mean, if you're, you're the only guy, uh, you know, above the free point, I mean, above the foul line and you're taking a shot and the guy's blowing by you, you better get back. Right. And so that was an extreme example, but his point is floor balance. You can't be totally stupid about floor balance. You have to be a guy going back. On the other hand, what do all these three things have in common? I mean, they have in common that, this is meant to be an athletic team yep. that should be fun to watch and that um, you have to be in condition. Finch has talked about this being a 14-player roster, not in rotation, but he has a lot to choose from. Uh, that's one thing that I think has happened over the summer. Depth has improved. And I think that you have athletes um, and – you also have guys that are now being told. I mean, everybody knows that if the Wolves are a bottom five defense and Cat and D'Lo are culprits, then 
the conclusion has to be we got to do something else. And by the way, we have two guys who are really exciting young prospects. And we haven't even talked about Ben Simmons, thank God. But, I mean, there is this whole idea that your identity right now, this is the last chance. Yeah, if this doesn't work, now you, you've you've made a full-on schematic change to literally to accommodate for your two highest paid players. Right. If this doesn't work, you almost have to pitch the roster construction. Right. And what, I, what I'm saying is I'm preaching patience in this because I don't think it's going to work the first 15 games. Right. I'm saying give it time. And you have to give it, you know, 70, 80 games. And let's yeah, face it. Exactly. Um, it isn't like we're talking about screwing with the offense because the offense can hum. So if you're mm-hmm. screwing with something that was 28th best anyway, <laughs> true. Right, you know, right. it isn't Low opportunity really, cost. it <laughs> isn't, yeah, I mean, and and if if Finch has the uh, confidence to, to stick with it, and there isn't anything about that guy's personality that indicates that he doesn't, right. uh, then I think what we're going to see is a chance for it to work in a way that, um, you know, I think is, is a positive. And and to your point about you know you being a person that has argued this and you have I I've always been I was more in the Vanderpool camp just because I was impressed with uh you know the the what he was saying and how he was saying it and how it well mirrored what the Wolves they wanted to take away on defense what they get you know what they were trying to get on offense but uh, in response to my uh, column uh, today on Twitter the hardwood Paris Matt Moore totally endorsed this change and said, and I don't know where he got this stat, but maybe you you, you get synergy too. Uh, but he said that on plays that are not switchers or drops, the Wolves had the second best points per play against in the NBA last year. Interesting. I think that's second spectrum, but I also don't think, I think that's, there weren't a lot of those possessions. Right, but still, that's pretty remarkable. <laughs> Matt, it, it, interesting he, he's, I mean, he works for the Action Network, so he's he covers the whole league, but he's in Denver. Right. Um, so he's seen a lot of Wolves he, and seen Finch. No, well, he's seen Jokic. He's right, seen Jokic, this system right, right, with, with right, Jokic, right, which right. is, and, you know, just as I've tweeted out a couple of the Chris Finch things, you know, he's been like, awesome. Yes. And, and Matt, it <laughs> works for a betting site. He's like, I just bet the Timberwolves make the playoffs. And, <laughs> but then, you know, a couple of the other Nuggets guys, too, I interacted with a little bit of like, they just so so sternly believe in this system for a player like Nikola Jokic as your five. Well, let's face it. If Cat was the MVP yeah. because he suddenly got a lot better on defense and was much happier and played well, a lot better as a result, I mean, th- we'd endorse it too. <laughs> like, okay, 2016-17, yeah. the Nuggets were 29th in defense, which actually that's the year when Finch was there. 2017-18, which was the year when the Wolves and Nuggets played each other in game 82. The Nuggets were 25th in defense that year. Then they make the switch defensively and a, a big schematic change, as I talked about, with Malone saying, Nicola, what do you want to do? And they they switch it. Paul Millsap, he was actually there the year before, but he was hurt for most of it. Millsap played 70 games that next year, and they jump up to 10th mm-hmm. defensively, and the Nuggets have kind of been rolling ever since, right? right. So... You know, it makes sense if you're following the Nuggets right. closely to be like, hey, this isn't These a... These guys have figured it out. Right. And so, the Cat-Jokic comparisons, while not exact, Cat um, is the closest thing Jokic has to a comp in the NBA right now. 
And what I think is so interesting is Jokic enacted this defense best this year, this past season. They were their twelfth in defense in twenty 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 one this year, which is still good. Right, and that's when Jokic shed all the weight. And right. and I just after seeing some of the stuff, went and I watched all of his like defensive Jokic's defensive possessions from the Blazers series. Right, when they played him there, which I mean, Dame and CJ are such a test for this, right? Yes, and and I mean, it's so clear that with Jokic losing the weight just for being on his feet more allowed him to get out, you know, as you have to against Damian Lillard, right. five, ten feet beyond yes. the free, three-point line. That was so helpful. And so now I'm sitting here. I, I watched that the night before. I come to practice, and Cat comes in, and he says, yeah, two years ago I was 276 when I came into camp. Last year I was 268 when I came into camp, and today I'm 240. Like, that's kind of the same thing. Because, again, what this scheme asks you to do, it's hard. Right. And it, it particularly... There's like at the level, but then if it's if it's Dame Lillard, it's not just at the level. You need to go up and hard hedge and right. take that away. And then, okay, we took we got Dame to pass it. Then what Cat has to do is sprint back down low. Like you gotta be in good shape to do it. And right. that again, that's why Jokic had his best season, I believe, was be, in part due to the fact right. that he shed a bunch of weight. And you no, know, Cat has to. And at the other end, you got to get an offensive rebound and sprint back. <laughs> yeah, the Dublin. So I, I mean, you know, it's gonna be uh, maybe. There's a reason why there's like just a ton of three, four, five types on this roster. I mean, guys like Torian Prince. You know, that Vando, is the thing, man. Uh, you know, that's the thing. Is are they gonna be able to figure that out? Because you know, I or mean, Cat are they gonna basically bring them in waves to do this? And if you do, you lose the continuity that you're talking about. But just some sort of way, you need to pump. You need to find your Paul Mills out. This roster does. Uh-huh. Well, Through, that would logically be Vando, right? I mean, but or if you're, you know, if Frankenstein it with Torian Prince, Jaden McDaniels, Vando, as exactly, I think they will. Exactly. It needs to be that that eighteen nineteen season where they made the where they made the jump. The uh, they went when Jokic and Millsap were on the floor together. They were ninetieth percentile defensively, and when Jokic was on the floor with no Millsap, they were thirty fourth percentile defensively. <laughs> Overall, that led to being. Plus 10 net rating when Jokic and Millsap are on together to neutral when it was Jokic, no Millsap. So that is a critical part of this. The low end. Uh, it obviously is a totally different scheme, but Cat was so much more effective with Vando next to him than he was with yep. McDaniels next to him. Yep. And it is because I think that that quick bruiser type is really a good compliment for Cat. You know, I mean, a guy who can get a rebound, deter a shot, be a presence without Cat necessary, with Cat being like a split second late. That's important. Right. What I'm kind of torn on is, you know, if they're even going to try and put McDaniels in that role, because not because I think we believe his best role is on the ball, right? Yes. And, and Finch does, too. Although Finch thinks that the the McDaniels at the three will happen when everything is out on the floor in crunch time anyway. Yeah, which leads us back to our whole, like, what's that plan at Power Forward? Who's starting at Power Forward? And I think over the course of the summer and stuff, I or once we kind of heard that Vando was going to be coming back, I think the logical connection was, you know, Vando's, Vando's going to start at the four. I would. Why wouldn't you put Vando next to Cat to do this system Devil's advocate, uh-huh. 
because Chris Finch is audacious and wants to put his five best play- he wants to have his best players out there as much as possible. Yeah. And Vando is not one of the five best players on right. this team. He's maybe the eighth best player. On and this team. and there are two schools of thought to this. And Finch has kind of supported both of them because on the one hand, he said this summer we're going to start with an offensive heavy lineup and then go blending. Right. And he told me. What works best is if we blend our lineups. Mm-hmm. If we have a couple of these guys uh, next to our explosive offensive guys, what he was basically saying is, you know, filter in guys who will make the system work. Yeah, and I, of and course. Vando, Vando is, whenever Chris Finch talks about defense, Vando sounds like the prototype for what he wants to do. And when they but sign- But don't you just have this, or is, is it just me? I, I have this feeling that the Vando role is not going to be as big as we're making it out to be. I think that might I be. I mean, for you. sure in the rotation. For sure in the rotation. I'm not. Well, I mean, that. put it this way um, if Vando doesn't stick at 20 to 25 minutes minimum a game, it will be because Finch does not like the offense. Finch hmm. does not like the fact that his hands remain a problem. His cutting is overrated. I think Finch kind of overrates Vando's cutting. I don't remember a lot of great Vando cuts. There are some. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, that much was made about him getting up 200 makes a day, which, I mean, or whatever it was he said, uh, I got to tell you, um, it's kind of analogous to uh, Jaden McDaniels being the playmaker in Summer League. It's great yeah, right. in terms of what you're working on for the future, but you're not relying. You're not relying – Vando will be this year's Josh Okoge in terms of the fact that other opposing defenses will have you find him right. and and make him shoot. And so and if that happens, then I say you're right. Then I say that Finch, because he wants it both, he wants he wants great offense and good defense. And if he doesn't think he's getting both then he may change. Well, where is he going to place Vando? That's the question. If he is, if Vando's playing with the starters, are you going to put Vando in the dunker, which will, which will congest things? It mm-hmm. will congest things mm-hmm. for Cat posting up. It'll congest things for Ant attacking. It'll congest things for D'Lo pick and roll game. If it's D'Lo Cat pick and roll game, you know, I mean, the part of my this inclination I'm, I'm literally just talking through right now is, is this idea that I think Finch is going to want that four to slide towards the corner a lot more than the dunker for, for all of which those sort of reasons. Which is Jaden McDaniels. Which is Jaden McDaniels. Right. <laughs> now we're doing this, we're wrapping ourselves in a pretzel right. because now we're and back. And Torian but- Prince. I mean, both of those guys are classic corner threes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's Jaden is clearly most comfortable doing that, catch and shoot from the corner. And I think Torian, Torian is Prince an even better shooter. out of it. Yeah, know? right. So, uh, yeah. It, it, the Frankenstein. That, that's what we're talking about. Is the offense versus the defense. Uh, and how do you, how does he effectively piece together those four minutes? Because it's just going to be important, not just defensively, but offensively too. And I've got to tell you, I think that Vando is such a prototype of Vando will be there if the other guy gets the rebound as Vando is crashing the offensive glass. He will not be able to pivot easily and just give it to the point guard. That's the thing about Vando. And then Vando will be right. in position at the other end of the court. Um, so, yeah, I guess if Finch I does think believe that in that. that value is got to be, that's the example he's setting. Yeah, but that value is, 
that value he's providing is in Vinch's most audacious element that he's talking to you about this whole offensive rebounding and transition thing. What has Chris Finch said in regards to Vando at least 10 times that I've heard as they were thinking about signing him, expecting to sign him and then signing him, there's a, he checks a lot of boxes in That's terms true. of yeah. winning, in right. terms of yeah. winning statistics. And I agree he does. Right. I agree he does. I just think if it was, it fits, it, it, it strikes me as maybe it, that will happen more so with the, the second unit, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It, it worked really well with the second unit last year. Well, the, the optimistic season. view is that this team has the depth to monkey with it, right. to try things, 100%. provided it doesn't get in the way of your developing a whole new defensive scheme. Um, it The broad doubt that any self-respecting Tim Wolves fan should have by now is that um, you're asking the players to do things that they ultimately can't do. That Cat and D'Lo are just not good defenders. Screw the scheme. They're Al Jefferson or whatever. You know, sure. That's one concern. The other concern is Anthony Edwards is flummoxed by the sophistication and begins to just go for steals. Screw it. You know, and he's getting 40, you know, every third game. So he gets to do it. Um, Vando is great at that role, but he's so bad at the other end that he's wrecking the, the offense. He's the, not the corner guy that makes things hum in the paint. Um, it isn't quite a house of cards, but it is a, there are some sturdy foundational pieces and then those sturdy things are resting on some things that are not sturdy. Right. And so can you get the leverage to the point where it is sturdy anyway, or does it become something that um, the whole thing collapses of its own weight and it's a classic Timberwolves season? I mean, it, those are yeah. really the, the It's a parlay. It's like about. I said, it's, a, it's right. a parlay, which I will say that this go glass very half full is right. if they hit, if those things are- They'll make the playoffs. And maybe even better, right? I, maybe I do. better. If, Although if those probably not in one year, right? Yeah, but I'm. I mean, yes. Again, I'm going. Very, They're on a path. There, there is an opportunity in this just generally more aggressive, more right. more aggressive scheme, more right. audacious everything. That, I mean, you know, a, a big part of the reason why I was anti what Saunders and Vanderpool were doing, and Rosas for that matter, right. what they were building is that I thought even once you had the personnel, the ceiling was not high. Exactly. Exactly. And the floor was supposedly high, but it wasn't. Exactly. Not with this team. Boom. Mm -hmm. you know? So so that's what, as I'm, like, literally, I'm in training camps, I'm going for, this was the third day. You know, we're, get, we're getting some of these sort of things. I mean, that's what's fun about it, right, is you get these little nuggets of new right. information every day. Your column, too, as well. Like, it, it it's sort of shifted my, my mind to this sort of thing where I don't know if, this necessarily boosts what I'm going to ultimately project this team to win. I want to see, right. I want to see some of this in the, the preseason. But what I will say is the real, the range of outcomes for this team, I have shifted the positive side higher mm -hmm. than, than I would have said if we were just talking a, a week ago. Uh huh. Uh, I probably don't telescope that specifically, 
What I will say is I've had a good feeling about the way this roster has come together. The Pat Bev thing. Yeah, we were talking about defense. We're 45 minutes into a, into a Timberwolves defensive podcast. I think that's the first time we brought up Patrick Beverly. Well, and that's because he's not a question mark except for his health. Exactly. You know, and even with his health bad, he can still be KG-like in terms of just being somebody who barks at people and lets well, you, people. Well, you, you asked him that today. You said, what was it? When are you going to start barking? Uh, are you, are you going to wait to start barking at people? And he said, no, no. Well, it's the way I am, unfortunately. <laughs> It, yeah, and but but in answer to your future idea, um, thirty-three five has always felt like easy money to me, and yeah. I know a lot of people have disagreed with that. Uh, have more they? people Who? have begun? Well, when I first said, I, no, I you first I, I said take, you said five hundred. Well, I, I, I still think that's the range. I think the range is thirty-four to say forty-one. I yeah. do. I think I I believe. Barring a collapse that will, you know, tank the legacy of Gerson Rosas for good, um, that they will win between 34 and 41 games. That will get them in play in consideration and perhaps will get them out right into the playoffs. I think that there's nothing lately in reporting on this defensive thing. Um, Chris Finch says, I've always been a defense first guy. Um, I don't think that he is as naturally revolutionary on defense as he is on offense. I think what he's doing, as we've just pointed out, is things are things that other teams have done. I think his idea of letting players show him what the offense should be is a little bit more right. uh, radical. And I, I, But I've got to say, props to Chris Finch for saying, when it comes to defense, this is what I want. And Joseph Blair was going to be his coordinator. And Joseph Blair was going to have a tough season. And maybe he knew that. And that's why he went to Washington. But when I asked Finch for this story, you know, how big of a bump in the road was the uh, Joseph Blair thing? He said, well, you know, the, myself and the coaching staff were putting this together anyway. And... um we were already on the road to doing things. And then uh, I talked to Elston Turner when he, he, and then he, he left and he was more in line with the way I was thinking in hmm. terms of switching and stuff. And so the lack way, of switching the yeah. way, yeah. The, the way Finch was kind of painting it was I welcomed Joseph Blair walking out the door. <laughs> I mean, he didn't say that. Right. And, and I don't want to put words in his mouth that way, but there was clearly an idea. Not a, I, it wasn't congruent necessarily their two views and belief of of what the right way to do this And you picked up on it right away. I mean, what Blair wanted out of Cat was going to be a hybrid of some of the things. I think Blair looked at it and, and he said, if Cat's going to be our center, we have to switch. I think it's pretty much that simple. And I think that that Joseph, and he said as much, I would only run a defensive scheme with uh, that's a drop if I had a massive individual at center. Well, Cat is not even, massive. And even when he weighed more, right. he still wasn't massive. Right. And Cat he never now, played big anyway, regardless of what is, you know. This is the smallest team things. in the NBA right now. This is the smallest team in the NBA. That's interesting. It, it isn't even debatable. Uh huh. It isn't. If you go through it and, and you look at it, your, your biggest player is Carl Anthony Towns, 
who isn't quite seven, isn't quite right. seven feet tall, now he weighs 240 pounds. Mm-hmm. I remember as an related to that, I remember when the the Wolves played in uh, Philadelphia, the first Jimmy Butler game. <laughs> I, I was there in Philadelphia and I was in the locker room before the game. And just enormous. Yeah, well, yes, yeah, it's very, very different. But uh, I was in the Philadelphia's locker room and Ben and I just happened to be waiting. We're actually going to interview Corey Brewer, who was on the team. We're waiting for Corey Brewer, and I was standing, happened to be standing by the scale. Sounds like it should be seven years ago, but it was like two. It was, it, it was, <laughs> it was the end of the Corey Brewer. Um, and Ben Simmons stood on the scale, which happened to be right next to where I happened to be, and he goes, 250. God damn. And so, I mean, Ben Simmons two years ago weighed more than Cat does right now. And his cat size. And his cat's height. Right. So, so you I mean, if Ben Simmons does magically get on this team, which we're not talking about right, right. now, he will be the biggest player on the team. Mm-hmm. And and to Alongside that side Jaden McDaniels. Well, yeah, but Jaden weighs <laughs> one eighty five. No, I know. So that, that's what I'm saying. You just go right. down the rest of the you know, who on this team is quote unquote big for their position? Anthony Edwards, I would say. Maybe Josh Okogi is kind of thick. Well, yeah, depending I mean, on what position. I would say in terms of disruption, Vando plays bigger. I mean, Vando gets rebounds yeah. and disrupts I'm not saying this plays. team is small in like a bad way. I'm right. saying this team is small relative to the other 29 teams right. in the league. Right, right. And that will become apparent in this season and maybe not apparent for good or for bad. I'm just right. saying, like, we line up the bodies right. here of every opponent before the game. Right, right. <laughs> they, this, that, I mean, that's the roster that Gerson Rose has put together. Right. Which and that be- Chris Finch is excited by. 100%. And, and what's really fascinating, Elston Turner is not very good at disguising himself uh, in terms of how he responds to things. He affects a world weariness when you talk to him. It's like, ah, you know, like with the whole thing with Finch, whatever he wants. <laughs> and I know a lot of ways to do things. If he wants to skin the cat this way, I can I'll, do I'll it and it. I'm yeah. on board with it. So he has that, you know, I gave him the whole my gorgie anecdote about, you know, uh, X's and O's never really happening. Well, he has a point there, you know, and he gets into this whole he's a, he, he's just like this southern dude, you know, Sam Mitchell type of that drawl and everything. Just so, oh, Sam Mitchell is such a good that's good. That is he is like Sam. Yeah. And so but then at the end I'm saying, you know, so uh, you know, what have you got here and so you know how is this going to pan out? And all of a sudden, he started talking about, you know what? But we are. And he started talking about the fact that we're quick. And we yeah. can get from point A to point B. And we got some springiness. And his voice changed. It was like he got excited all over again about what this, I mean, the athleticism and the springiness, being able to put people out on the court and run the kind of system that they're going to run occasionally. Do you remember when Rocco and Dario Saric first came over and Tibbs mm-hmm. plugged them in and all of a sudden they were they playing went, defense? They like, went eight and three the first were, 11 games. They're number three in defense they in the were whole banshees. league. They were banshees yep. all over the court. And it was some of the most fun I've had since 2003-04 when they went to the conference yep. finals. Well, it was the best and basketball I just thought there. to myself, here yeah. we go. We may see... When the off defense is humming, that type of thing. Will we see it often? Will we see it often enough for it to be mediocre? Because at the end of the day, let's face it, that defense, while better, still only finished 20th. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh so 
Can I say something about the Elston Turner thing, yeah. which I think is maybe stating the obvious to some people, sure. but in line with the smallest team ever? Yeah. Elston Turner was the defensive coordinator the of the Houston ball. Rockets when they ran, when they had the smallest they switched roster. everything, too. In the, in the history of the NBA. Right, to, right. Was yeah, when Roko yeah, was literally. Tucker was the center. Or, yeah. or and, Robert Covington was the power forward, depending. One of those two was the center. Exactly. Right. So I, just from the time when we got to interview Elston right. Turner, I don't think he's all in on that. Right. But he's coached it before. Right. Yes. So that's if if the Wolves are in fact, and I know some people have already pushed back on this idea that I have that this is the smallest team in the league. They're small, er, right? Right. And and Elson Turner has experience coaching a team like that, so I think that's. I mean, they're leaning. Kirsten Rosas was leaning into it. Chris Finch was embracing it. Right. The hiring of Elston Turner was emboldening it. And 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 he used a word that I think is also a very good adjective for this team. He said they're wiry. Yeah. And Josh Okogie, Jared Vanderbilt, Patrick Beverly, Jade McDaniels. Jade McDaniels, they are wiry guys. For sure. And what that means is people who are flexible but not flaccid. People who are able <laughs> yeah. to um bend and and scamper but have resistance as they do so. Bert Robson, you wrote a great piece. It's on the Athletic right now. It's titled Timberwolves Success Hinges on Their Defense Going from Terrible to Mediocre. What's their plan for getting there? Long title, but accurate. <laughs> Classic athletic title. <laughs> well, it's a long article too, but it's good. Um, check that out. Uh, there's there's actually a, a, a lot more in there. Again, was reported out. Talked to a lot of different people there. Read that at The Athletic. Brett, um, this is obviously a lot about the defense. I, I look forward to talking to you more here in the coming weeks about some yeah, other things on this about team. All, too. You know, it never we'll we'll get we, right now. We're sitting face to face for the first time since uh, we're, we're here your apartment practice. in Bloomington in the summer a while back. <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, so that's another reason to get excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually excited because um, it feels like we're in the the final act of a movie, and we get to find out how the movie ends. And it could end badly, or it could <laughs> end well. But this season yes. will be. You know, the end of a movie in terms of it, it will stop being a rebuilding and start being mm -hmm. a development yeah. or it will be the end of a legacy. And so I'm excited for that because those are big stakes. Very big stakes. Very big stakes. And and I think as far as covering the team, it's going to be fun, too. I mean, just being, we got to watch practice scrimmages right. today and yeah, everything up close and personal. First time since Flip Saunders for me. Yeah, I was to say, I mean, first time for me me ever because i started covering the team under tibbs yep and he, we were not allowed in practices That's for right. that so yes it's gonna be fun there's gonna be more breadcrumbs here over the next week somehow this team plays a game on Monday. I know. That's going to be something. Which we'll be at here. And, New Orleans. Uh, another dysfunctional team. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, I'll, I'll talk to you again. Um, not before that. Uh, that night after that game. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll track this team wherever it goes. He's Britt. I'm Dane. Until later. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stop. Yeah. Green it so you can find me in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down. Yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. 
But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.